Weekly Signals every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9 a.m. Join me, Mike Casper, and Nathan Callahan for the best in reality-based radio. That's Weekly Signals. Check out the website at weeklysignals.com. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good evening. You're listening to KUCI at 88.9 FM in Irvine and online at KUCI.org. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity and From Victim to Victor, a step-by-step guide for ending the nightmare of identity theft. She sits as an advisor to the State of California Office of Privacy Protection, and she's a sheriff reserve here in Orange County. She's testified many times in Congress and the California legislature on privacy and identity theft issues, and you may have seen her on TV on Dateline, 48 Hours, NBC, ABC, CNN, O'Reilly, Geraldo, Montel, a lot of other shows. And uh, she did her own 90-minute PBS special last year called Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Good evening, Mari. Good evening. Well, we have a guest that I met about 24 years ago. He is a fabulous attorney, a wonderful guy, brilliant and very creative. And over the years, I've had the wonderful opportunity to refer him as a family law mediator I need for my clients to have independent counsel to review their agreements and have independent advice. And I always use people that I really believe in, that I trust, that are great attorneys, that I know are not going to screw my clients or just try and pad the bill just to get more clients. So he is terrific and he has been wonderful to my clients. Let me tell you about my guest who is also now a fabulous author. Today, we're going to be talking with Robert P. Desjardins. He has practiced law in Orange County, specializing in family law for over 33 years. He received his bachelor's degree from the University of Connecticut and his law degree from beautiful Pepperdine University. He is recognized as one of the best lawyers in America and California in a number of independent publications, including Best Lawyers in America. He received the Orange County Trial Lawyers designation as Trial Lawyer of the Year in 2000. Robert is a past president of the Family Law Section of the Orange County Bar Association, and he served as an editorial consultant for California Family Law Monthly, which is published by Matthew Bender. And he served as a private judge and a judge pro tem. Robert published his first novel, The Mistral, in 2007. And his new novel is entitled A Darker Shade of Orange. It's sitting right here in front of me. In fact, both books are 
fabulous books, and we're so thrilled that you joined us tonight, Robert. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here, and I'm also amazed that it's been 25 years since we've met. Uh, <laughs> where has the time gone? I know. We're really not that old. I know. I'm, I'm only 35. <laughs> I know. So we were just babies. Well, we're going to ask you about your wonderful new books, which I absolutely love. But let's talk a little bit about family law. Okay, because there's some family law juicy issues there. You learn a lot about your clients and their private lives in family law. So what are your concerns about the privacy of your clients? My office overlooks the uh, Crystal Cathedral on one side and Disneyland at the other side. <laughs> uh, and I often tell people that it ranges from the sublime to the ridiculous, <laughs> but I don't tell them which one is sublime and which one is ridiculous. And uh, that, That's kind of a segue to the practice of family law. After 30 years of family law, I really have seen everything from the sublime to the ridiculous. Uh, and I think you, you would ask me off the air whether I ever plan to write anything about family law. And, uh, 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 that's something that's in the back of my mind, uh, but privacy is a concern to people going through family law because it's, it's a very, very personal problems that bring people to the divorce courts and the family law courts. So I do have certain con- concerns about privacy for my clients in the family law scenario. And, and, and with your expertise, Marie, I'm sure you've come across the, uh, the conflict between the First Amendment, their rights to know, and the uh, the private rights of privacy that parties uh, want to enjoy, and uh, the, the, we always have that conflict between the family code, which uh, which allows certain safeguards against disclosure, on a, on a uh, and allowing for closed hearings in certain cases uh, if they're very very sensitive, uh, and that's a weight against the uh, public's right to know, and there's there, there's no real answer for it, but uh, as a family law practitioner, I, I try and safeguard my clients' privacy as much as I possibly can, and uh, there are there is some protection in the family code and under the law for uh, rights of privacy, but the uh, rights of the public to know seem to be paramount to that. They sure do. At least now we can redact social security numbers and other things for for family law. But you know, there's a lot of financial stuff out there, isn't there? There, there, there certainly is, and it used to. Uh, any anyone can go to the court and look, pull a family law a record and see. Uh, what the parties are saying about the other side and, and uh, with regarding to custody and property and assets. And there's a lot of information there that uh, I'm sure the, public, that, that the litigants would like to keep uh, private, but that the public can get access to if they want to. And we've had some cases together that have had some really juicy things that we won't talk about here. But, I mean, it's it's always best if we can keep as much as we can private through through settlement. And I know you settle a lot of cases. And through mediation, in which you've been overseeing my clients and, and making sure that they got all that they needed to get to make a fair agreement. But there isn't much privacy if you're out there litigating. Well, as you know, if, if parties settle the cases, which... We also, you and I are always motivated to settle cases uh, for our clients. If they settle their cases, they can structure their settlements in such a fashion that not everything has to be filed with the court. Exactly. Uh, you can find ways to uh, protect your privacy. Uh, but once again, you have the public's right to know, and you always have those people knocking on your doors to find out what they can. So what should be done to provide greater privacy for your clients in the Orange County Family Law Court? Well, I, I think other than what I just touched upon, if you can settle your case, 
you, you can you can structure your settlement agreements in such a fashion that you don't have to disclose everything. Well, we do. In, in fact, I was just going to say in mediation, sometimes we have a private settlement agreement and a public settlement agreement, and that that helps too. So there, people can keep all their private finances out of the court. There's, there's been some recent public court decisions which you're probably more conversant with than I am uh, that seems to, in, to impinge upon the mediator's rights of privacy. Actually, there's been a real push toward protecting the mediation process. So that's good. And the, the main thing is, is that if you're going to have a mediated agreement for it to be enforceable, you have to say right in the mediation agreement that it's enforceable. So that's been one issue is that the mediator cannot disclose private information unless it's enforceable. So that's that's another good thing. But privacy is, is real scary in, in family law. What about the fact that you've got people now emailing and spouses wanting to bring in emails that, that were written by the other spouse? I, I've, had a, I've had a few cases where... Uh, Technology has been a major, major issue, and not to get into details, but I've had one case where I represented the CEO of a very, very substantial financial company, and the other side sought to get disclosure of all of the records of that company mm-hmm. uh, completely, 100%, and we, and we had to go to a referee to fight that issue out, and the referee was, was leaning towards disclosing everything, which was incredible, because it would give financial records for hundreds of people who were not even involved in the case, but we were successful in uh, defeating that. But I've also had cases where, not my client, thank God, uh, the other side had uh, uh, installed what's called spyware. You think yes, spyware? Uh-huh. yes. Uh, it was my first experience with spyware, and apparently they were able to monitor my client's every keystroke, every keystroke on, yes. his, on his personal computer, his laptop computer, and his yes. office computer. Yes. He got every every item that he had uh, uh, typed. And it was amazing to me. We were uh, the, the case had a very very tragic ending in that the party who had uh, engaged in this came to a, uh, an unfortunate end, which I can't discuss. But uh, oh. it was uh, it was an unbelievable uh, case in that they, she had all of this information, and 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 my client did have some personal items that he did not want to have disclosed. Right. And, and I found out in, in researching that that uh, her actions were in violation of the penal code. And that each one, each time that she had done this, it was a criminal violation and also subject to her to civil civil liability. Right. So it was a, it was an interesting case at that level, and I, I might have said too much about it. And, and, and the most probably the most embarrassing technological issue I come across is where I had a client who was emailing, receiving emails from me, or pass, forwarding emails to me that he had received from other people, but he was hitting reply all oh, <laughs> instead of reply to me. And he yes. Was, <laughs> oh, <laughs> he, no. And I'm sure this happens, but he was sending out his answers to everybody. And it got, <laughs> that got to be a little embarrassing, <laughs> embarrassing at times, but uh, we managed to survive. But it is a brave new world out there in the it world is. of cyberspace, for sure. And even social networking, you know, uh, people getting on these websites, Facebook and all these things and disclosing things or, or maybe even looking like they're not a good parent, you know? They put up a website and they look like they're having fun and they're not really uh, responsible to be a parent and then the other parent wants to bring that into court. Uh, it's incredible what people will say to a computer that they wouldn't want anybody else to know. Yeah, I even had, believe this or not, this was a, a case of identity theft with family law in which the uh, the husband, and this was on the East Coast, the husband had 
his girlfriend set up an email in his wife's name and then send him emails threatening to kill the children so that when they would get to court that he could bring those emails and say she's an unfit mother. How were you able to... uh... Well, we were able to finally find the IP address of the of the person who did this because the the woman who was the victim of identity theft who said I never wrote these emails was able to use the Fair Credit Reporting Act 609E stating that she is a victim of identity theft and asking for all the documents of the account. And so she was able to get it and prove it was really his girlfriend. It was amazing, but we're seeing more of that kind of stuff uh, using technology for revenge. And it's actually being used in family law. I'm hearing from it from privacy issue, but it really is affecting family law as well. Scary stuff. It, it is. And, and uh, the more I learn about it, it's all discoverable within the legal system. So right. It, 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 it indeed can be a real sword for somebody to use against you. Yeah, I interviewed a law professor from the East Coast, Dan Solov, who wrote a book called The Future of Reputation on the Internet. And anybody can put up anything about the Internet, and it's very hard to even find uh, that person. And they can claim that even with a subpoena, you can't get that information. So your client can be discredited, and who knows if it's really the truth, but that can be brought into court. Anyway, it is a brave new world out there. But speaking of a brave new world and speaking of the shady things of the world, Let's talk about your wonderful new novel, A Darker Shade of Orange. It's interesting that you wrote about a personal injury lawyer in a criminal case. Uh, How is that? (laughs) Uh, There's the old saw, you write about what you know about. And uh, when when I initially started practicing, I did everything before I became a family law attorney. And I did have a, uh, uh, I don't want to say that the protagonist in my uh, book is based upon me. It, it, It truly isn't. But, but I, I drew upon some of my own experiences uh, uh, with, in, in, within the criminal law system and within the civil law system, the personal injury system, and, and use that to uh, help form the basis for the thoughts that uh, you'll find that come to life in Darker Shade of Orange. Yeah, it's great, it's especially for those people who are driving by and who are students on campus. It's really fun because you recognize some of the places like Mr. Stocks, one of the places that I love to go. And uh, so it, it has a, a home, a hometown flavor, but it's very exciting, very exciting. So the protagonist, Dennis McCauley, who you say is not you, and, and he's got some very sweet parts about him. So that must be the good part of you. Uh, I actually had a very good friend uh, uh, who was a doctor named McCauley, who I, uh, I drew upon some of his characteristics. Uh, he's, he's deceased, but I drew upon some of his characteristics in creating this character. Oh, yeah. He's, he's a great character. So in this book, and I don't want to say too much because I want people to read it, but his whole reputation and his life is at stake. So um, this the story reveals a lot of injustices in our in our justice system. So before we go any further, how well do you think our justice system really works, Bob? When when you look at other uh, cultures and other uh, uh, countries, and you look at the, the, the judicial system they have and other areas, it, our our system compares compares well, compares favorably. But much of our system, as you you know, Maria um, is drawn from the. French system and the English system, and, and I look at, I look at Canada, and I look at France, and I look at England, and, and there's much to be said about the effectiveness of their system as opposed to our system. 
but in our system, many times, and I'm not sure this is a bad thing, but many times advocacy, good advocacy, ends up uh, trumping the the truth and the facts. And I'm, I'm not sure that's the way things should be. And I look at the uh, the French system, which is more of an inquisitorial system, uh, as a as a as a search for truth as opposed to the uh, adversary uh, system. Um, uh, and, uh, and I think the French compare well, and the Canadians compare uh, compare well to our system. And uh, if, if you, uh, I know you've read Darker Shades, so I, I did get a little bit involved with the grand jury system. Yes. In Darker Shade. And the grand jury system started out in uh, England as an answer to the star chamber system. Uh, I don't want to get too professional. No, but that was interesting. You went into that. No, I think it's great because re- it was didactic but still exciting. And the uh, the star chamber system, you were presumed guilty before you stepped foot in the court and all the odds were against you. And they came across the grand jury system to try and uh, correct those uh, uh, those problems, and here the grand jury system has been described by the California Supreme Court as a uh, prosecution uh, dream world, where everything yeah. favors the prosecution. Uh, so I think that the grand jury system in California is something that needs to be uh, reviewed, uh, and so that you have a better chance of uh, presenting your day in court before you're in, before uh, you're brought before the court in a criminal's. Uh, Trial, right. so I, I think I, I think our system is is good, but it can stand it, it can uh, handle a lot of improvement. And you know, with the publicity and all that goes on, and what I've seen, even with victims of identity theft, you you really are. Even though they say you're innocent until proven guilty, in you know, in the media and other places, and like what happened to to your poor pr- protagonist, you're really presumed guilty until proven innocent, right? Absolutely. Yep. Well, in a darker state of say... Easy for you to say. <laughs> yes, too many S's here. Now, a, a darker shade of orange cuts a wide swath, including dishonest sheriffs, corrupt judges, and jailhouse brutality. Now, that sounds kind of familiar in Orange County here. What inspired you to write shade? You know, Orange <laughs> County is a, is a great place to live, but uh, truth, and, <laughs> truth and fact, there have been more judges... Uh, brought before the California Judicial Commission on a per capita basis for a breach of office or, or, or malfeasance of office than any other county in the, in the state, I don't know, that, at least at least in the recent years. Mm-hmm. Our sheriff's department has uh, we have an interest. I, I know you have some ties to the sheriff's department, Maurice. So don't get down on me. Now. No, 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 uh, no. But, no. That, but, but we have a, we have an interesting history of, of cowboys in, in our sheriff's office going back quite a few years. So that, right. that provides a lot of fodder for for, for, for fiction. A fodder right. for fiction, that's tough to say. <laughs> <laughs> and that, uh, that plus, uh, I have a, if, if there's anything in the law that I dislike, and I, and I love the law, I've been an attorney for many years, if there's anything in the law that I dislike, it's judges who hate lawyers. And that, yes. that sounds like a, a strange comment, but there are judges who absolutely hate lawyers, and they treat them badly for no apparent reason uh, that I can discern. And they all were lawyers first. Absolutely, uh, you know, and you wonder if if they if they feel this way about what they do, perhaps they should find a different line of work. Mm-hmm. But, but the, the the combination of uh, our bench, uh, uh, our sheriff's department, uh, uh, all have combined to to help motivate me to uh, write Dark, Darker Shade of Orange. And uh, I uh, I don't know if you recall, but several years back there was a judge who was gunned down in his driveway. Yes. 
Wasn't he a family law judge? Yeah, he was indeed. Uh huh. And I knew him, and you, you, and he was a very innocuous guy. I mean, you know, you, it's hard to imagine anybody disliking him. Right. But that, that murder remains unresolved, uh, unsolved, and those factors all helped me uh, when I lay in bed at night thinking about things. Maybe think about uh, putting them together and uh, and writing a darker shade of orange. Right. You had a great puzzle to put together there. That's for sure. Yeah, and you know, that when you talk about the, the jailhouse brutality, which was very scary in the book, very scary, but it was very close for comfort. We have our own sheriff who has is, you know, in the middle of a trial as well. So this is all really very close for comfort. So I got to ask you, are, are the characters in Shade based on real people? I thought I recognized a lot of people in there. Uh, am I on the road? Yeah, we're on. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're all the characters in Shade are, are, are fictional. Uh, uh, some some of my friends who have pre-read Shade or have commented on Shade thought they recognized people in Shade that were based upon real people, but uh, truly each each character is a composite of other people. Uh, some some of the characters that we all know may have formed part of my what I what I style as my literary gene pool, <laughs> but I, I I can't say that anybody was listed entirely. Uh, uh, but the the one character, uh, uh, the judge from Northern California, bears the same. Uh, name as uh, somebody who I uh, who I respected and drew upon for some of the uh, good characteristics of that personal judge, and uh, for, unfortunately, my character is now deceased, so I can talk about. Uh, but basically, everybody else is, is is fictional. Yeah, you just got like you said that composite gene pool <laughs> that you put together, which you know I, I noticed people that I kind of recognize that you and I have talked about. So yeah, it was it was it was fun. It was it was kind of. Like a mystery for me to figure out who who is he combining here. <laughs> uh, I'm a big fan of Dean Coons. Yes, who writes about Orange County and Orange County Orange County locations and the Orange County people. And, right. Uh, so I, I I wanted to at least in Darkest Shade of Orange to talk about locales in Orange County and and maybe create characters that you might think you recognize. Right. Right. Makes it more fun. It, it did for me. We're speaking with Robert Desjardins, who is a fabulous family law attorney for about 33 years. I've known him for about 25 years, and I have referred him numerous times. I think he walks on water in many ways. And he has now, just in the last couple of years, been become an f- incredible novelist. His first book, The Mistral, was is very, very exciting and based on a little bit of his own near-death experience, which should just kind of get you listening and excited about that. And his more recent book, which I have sitting right in front of me as well, is called A Darker Shade of Orange, A Fabulous Mystery and Excitement and all sorts of good stuff. I loved it. So we'll get back to you. Now, Robert, we're, we're, we've heard of the re- many recent uh, problems in the jails. In fact, there's an over a huge overhaul in our jail system right now. And we've heard of jailhouse murders and killings of an inmate and other inmates. Um, that that was on your mind uh, when you wrote Shade, right? I mean, we have uh, an incident right in the book about that. The the, the incident in the in the book uh, about the jailhouse murder uh, it was drawn upon a, a case that I actually was involved with uh, many years ago. Mm. Uh, I, I represented a, a, a postmistress of a small community here in Orange County whose husband was a bartender and he went to jail to serve a uh, weekend uh, weekend for drunk uh, drunk driving. Uh, 
She drove him to the jail and went to pick him up the following Sunday, and they told him, told her that there was no such person ever admitted in the jail. Oh, my God. And, and she hired me, and we, we tracked him down and found him in a coma in a local hospital, and he died several hours after we found oh, him. Oh, God. And, and he had been beaten, uh, and we, we found a witness to the beating who was a Marine. Uh, who was shipped off to Okinawa during uh, the discovery phase of the case. Mm. But Orange County, the, the county of Orange, settled the case for a quarter of a million dollars, which was a substantial sum though, 30 years ago. Right. Uh, without, uh, without admitting liability. Uh, but uh, the, 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 the depiction of how this happened uh, is pretty well represented in, in Darker Shade of Orange. Strangely, just as a, a serendipity takes, takes uh, over here, uh, the, uh, I associated in a personal injury attorney at the time who was now a sitting Superior Court judge in Orange County. So, so <laughs> there were all kinds of connections. In, right. In shades. But that, and you that, even had the Marine. I mean, the, the, the kid who died is the Marine. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Your character, Detective Curtis, boy, what a dirty cop. I mean, <laughs> I, I just hated the guy, right? Good. Oh, my goodness. Well, one of the things he did, among other nasty stuff, was he, he used a listening device to secretly listen to the private investigator who was working on Macaulay's case. Uh, tell us about that and, and about the legality of that. Well, uh, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with Penal Code Section 632, which, yes. which basically makes it a misdemeanor. Uh, to use any type of electronic device to overhear somebody without their confidentiality, confident, without their uh, consent. consent. Yeah, <laughs> and and both parties have to consent. If, even if you're on the phone, it can't just be one party like in other states. Both parties have to consent to any kind of recording. Uh, I, I often th- I I had thought for some reason that it had to be you had to be listening to some sort of a phone conversation, internet conversation, whatever. But that's not true. No, the, the, even if you just the, as the detective. Uh, Curtis did uh, using a listening device in a, in a public place. That that's a misdemeanor. And if you do it, if you if you if you do it again, and you're after you're convicted, you can be it can be a felony. Unfortunately, uh, uh, my uh, from what I understand, this is not an uncommon technique used both by law enforcement and those who are not necessarily in law enforcement. Right, private investigators yeah. and others who who have the uh, ability to do that. And now with our technology, pretty much anybody can do that. You see advertisements on television, late night television, about these devices where you can listen to somebody across the room. Yeah, all you have to do is go on the internet, and right. you can hear. And, and, I mean, you can get things that you can hear across the room. You can buy all of these little, uh, you know, techniques and technology that can do many things which are illegal. There, there are rules in, in law that you can't use this evidence in court, but that right. doesn't necessarily protect you if you're trying to have a confidential communication and somebody overhears it and they use that. They use the information that they gather. They don't necessarily necessarily have to use it in court. So right, and actually, your your dirty detective Curtis used it for for really bad reasons. See what what you, you know, uh, former uh, commissioner uh, Hick, Gail Hickman. Yes, uh-huh. Gail's an author. Uh, uh, is a friend of mine, <laughs> and I was discussing. This is this is kind of a strange segue, but I was discussing with. Uh, Gail, uh, one of my characters, and he said one of the good things about writing fiction as opposed to uh, reality is in reality your clients don't necessarily do what you tell them to do, right. or they don't listen to you. Right. But in fiction, if you don't like somebody, you can kill them off. <laughs> <laughs> so Detective Curtis, I won't tell your listeners what happens to him, but uh, uh, he receives his just desserts. Yeah, yeah, and in, in, a, in a very funny way, too. Your protagonist, let's get back to him again, Dennis McCauley is the target of this criminal proceeding, murder, which already will get you excited to want to read it, and also civil 
proceedings. He goes through not only a, a murder trial, but then after the murder trial, he has to go through a disbarment proceeding. And, and, you know, I had never really, I mean, I read about it in the Daily Journal and I read about it, but I really didn't know how these things go, which was great that you explained it. Um, did you intend to draw a comparison to like the O.J. Simpson case where first he had to go through the criminal trial and then he went through the civil? I, I did. Uh, I, I thought that it was, it was, the public was fascinated when, when O.J. went through the criminal trial and then they were fascinated when he went through the civil trial. And there was a, kind of an interesting. And then it was. Then they were fascinated with this the Las Vegas trial. Well, not, no, well, there, there's a, there was a third. There was a, there was an additional OJ trial that most people don't think too much about. But there was a custody matter here in Orange County. That's involving, right. Involving his kids, and I know all of the players are protagonists. And uh, that's I, right. I, when the grandparents were trying to get custody, right? When Nicole's right. parents were trying to get custody. Right. Yeah. And, and uh, I had some. I can't talk about that too much. I have some involvement in it, but I, so I was aware of that. And, and I wanted to draw this. I wanted to have my protagonist first go through the grand jury proceedings, which most people don't know much much about. Right. And I wanted to explain a little bit, but have a little fun with it, with the grand jury system, and then get into his criminal trial. And it actually, wasn't a criminal trial. There was a some preliminary skirmishes in, in the criminal trial. Right. And, and involved, like, a very courageous, we've been, I've been bashing judges all day, all day, but uh, involved a very courageous judge who made a very from, courageous from out call. Of the, from out of the county. From out of the county. <laughs> <laughs> but he had his roots. He had his roots in Orange County and right. the Orange County District Attorney's Office. Right. Um, he, was, like, he was a brave guy. He was. Yeah, he also had a quirky sense of humor, which I kind of disguised a little bit. But yeah, yeah. Uh, but in any event, so I, I wanted to draw the comparison between the criminal, the grand jury proceedings, the criminal proceedings, and then the state bar disbarment proceedings, which is right. really a civil trial without the rules. But the rules of evidence are kind of all stacked in favor of the state of the prosecution. And and so we we uh, Doctor uh, Dennis McCauley had to survive and endure these three trials before. Uh, he can really start about finding out who was really uh, the killer of uh, right. the judge that was killed early early on in the book. Yeah, and and I thought what was interesting, which I I really didn't know, but made sense to me, is that when you go through a disbarment hearing with the State Bar of California, it's an open session, so that anybody really can come in and listen. If you want, you can go to the to the State Bar website. And go to the link that puts you uh, uh, links you up to their disciplinary uh, section, and you can find out uh, when cases are pending, or you can request information as to when cases are pending. And they're heard, they're only heard two places in San Francisco and Los Angeles. Right. And you can you can actually attend these proceedings, and they're open to the public. And and uh, I think the, it, it, it would do the public a service service if the press cover this more. Yes. And we got more exposure because. Uh, there are some terrible things that go on. Uh, that no, I, I think that despite anything you hear to the contrary, I think attorneys are honorable people. I think they're honest people. I think they try to do the right thing. So I think most attorneys don't get into the law for money. I think they get into it for, for other reasons. Right, and they're, right. And they're, and they're generally uh, good, honest people despite the, uh, the rap that they take. Uh, but there are those people that need to be disciplined, and I think the State Bar of uh, uh, handles that. They've done to handle it uh, as quickly and as rapidly as they should, but they handle it, and it's open to the public. And I think if the press were to cover it more, we'd learn more about uh, the system, and perhaps we'd improve the system. Yeah, and that was interesting because that happened in, in your book, is that the press did get, yeah. <laughs> get to be there, and it was very interesting, and it became a public tr- you know, 
you know, public with the video and everything else. So that was fascinating. But I, I really didn't know. Thank God I don't know about a disbarment hearing, actually. I'm glad I don't know about a disbarment hearing. But um, I do know on the state bar, for those of you who are listening and you worry about hiring an attorney, you don't have to worry about hiring Bob Desjardins because he's wonderful. But if you are worried about hiring an attorney, you can go on the website and look up any attorney, and it'll tell you if they've had any probation uh or if they've had any, you know, major complaints that have brought the state bar in, it's right on there. Did you notice that that they put more and more on there now? Yes, they do. Yeah. So okay. you so you can do that. And you can also do that with respect to judges. You can go to the uh, judicial commission, uh, judicial performance commission, and check out proceedings against judges. And those are you know, now they're a little bit more secretive. Right. You don't necessarily find out what's going on until after it's happened, as a as a general rule, but. Once they, once they make a ruling, uh, and they have several levels of uh, uh, discipline that they can hang out, uh, they can uh, uh, apply, ranging from a private reproval, a public reproval, suspension, and, re- and they can recommend suspension from the, and removal from the bench. Uh, and we've had a couple of recent cases in Orange County where two of our uh, jurists were uh, removed from the bench in the last two or three years. Right, right, exactly. And And there's been real questions about improprieties that they've done too so um but i think it with regard to an attorney you know you can't always be sure of who you're going to get with a judge but you can be sure you can decide who you're going to hire as an attorney so it's probably a really good idea to go to the state bar of california and see if the person that that you're thinking of hiring has had any issues or is on probation they're supposed to tell you if they're on probation but some of them don't so it's probably a good idea I want to tell you that we are list- we are speaking with a friend of mine who is a wonderful attorney and a fabulous author. We're speaking with Robert Desjardins, who's been an Orange County family law attorney for 33 years. He is the author of The Mistral, which was, I think, April of 2007 it was published. And now his more recent wonderful book, A Darker Shade of Orange, is also available. I think you can get these on Amazon, right? Amazon.com, barnesandnoble.com, or you can get it on my website. Great. And why don't you give that website, Rob, while we're, while we're talking about it? My, my, well, there's, uh, the easiest way is just go to desjardinsauthor.com. And you better spell that, because not everybody speaks French. <laughs> D-E-S-J-A-R-D-I-N-S-A-U-T-H-O-R.com. Uh, and that'll get you right to the site. Okay. And on the site, it gives you all the ordering information. Or you, uh, well, that's that's good enough. All righty. So let's talk. You know, we talked about some of the judges who don't have integrity, and we've talked about the many who do. Um, what would you suggest to improve the quality of the bench here in Orange County and everywhere? Uh, I had lunch today with a retired judge who, uh, <laughs> one of the more—I won't tell you his name, but you—I'll figure out. Tell you, but one of the most outspoken guys I've ever met. Honest and uh, fearless. And I asked him that question. I said, I'll be speaking to uh, uh, Marie Frank today, and uh, uh, if she asked me what I would do to improve the system, what do you think? <laughs> and, and he, and, and he uh, kind of echoed some of my thoughts in, in comparing, comparing state judges to federal judges. Federal judges, as you, as you know, are appointed for life. Right. And, and th- that has, that has a, uh, it can cause mischief because they may get too arrogant or too impressed with themselves and their own power. But one of the things it does is it, is it eliminates the, the politics involved. Right. Because judges, the strangest thing about judges, and you and I appreciate this, but the public will be shocked when I say this, judges are afraid to make decisions. 
Yes. They hate, they hate to make decisions. Right. Because they know if they make a decision that there's going to be one unhappy person, one unhappy side, maybe two unhappy sides. And they know that that's, they're subject to criticism if they make decisions. And they know that they're subject to reversal by the Court of Appeals if they make decisions. Right. So they hate to make decisions for political reasons. If they were a point, and, they're, and they're also afraid, God, I hope no judges are listening. Any judges, <laughs> any judges listening to your show? I'm going to send this to all the judges. <laughs> <laughs> judges. Judges are afraid to have to go back into the legal world and make a living. Yep. Because they, 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 and many of them couldn't couldn't cut it anymore because right. Of, That's why they all become mediators and arbitrators, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I meant. But, That's okay. But, but but judges are afraid to make decisions, and they're afraid of going back to practicing law, and they're afraid to be controversial. Right. But if they're appointed for life, and they didn't have, they didn't have and you, they're very carefully screened before they were appointed. If they were appointed for life, they would not they would take the politics. Out of it, so that's they do that on a federal federal level, and the judges are very carefully screened. There's still somewhat of a political, not somewhat, it's very political. It is political, yeah. But I think that's something I, I would look at. And if you look at, uh, I, I made reference earlier to Canada and France, and in, in France, uh, and I know your public loves the French. Uh, I happen to love the <laughs> French, and I love France. It's great. In, in France, when, you, when, you, when, a, when a young man or woman decides they want to go and have a legal career, they don't necessarily attend law school. They make the choice whether they're going to go to law school or they're going to go to a school that's dedicated to training them for the, to be a judge. Huh. So, so that removes that political part right there. And, and they're trained and they're schooled, and they're either appointed as a judge on a provincial level or on a national level. And they don't have to stand for election. Of course, if they... If they uh, commit malfeasance or, 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 or crimes of high or low uh, uh, level, they can be removed. In Canada, uh, our neighbor to the north, uh, very similar. They, they, they're, they're, the judges are appointed on a provincial or national level. They don't. It kind of has a tendency to take the politics out of it. Mm. Now, the one thing I hate to see, hate, don't you hate to see somebody running for judicial office? Yes. And they're gonna, and they're, uh, I remember years back, we, we had a very fine judge, uh, Judge Mark Soden, I think he's retired, and his opponent ran against him on the basis that Mark Soden was soft on crime. The only problem was Mark Soden had been a probate judge for about 15 years and had no occasion to hear a criminal case. Mm-hmm. So, of course, he couldn't. <laughs> he was soft on crime. He didn't deal with it. Right, right. But, <laughs> but, but I just I did, to take the politics out of it and you improve the system. Yeah. And uh, infuse more public scrutiny, perhaps uh, some sort of uh, public review board to handle complaints as opposed to having judges police themselves. So right. I'm going to come down off my lecture box here, uh, Marie, but I gotta, like, uh, that's, a, that's an issue, uh, a subject that I have strong views on. No, but, you know, I'm, I'm, in terms of being a, uh, an attorney first, I think one of the good things about being an attorney first is that they have that sensitivity and they understand how much work there is in preparing for trial and they understand what it's like. So, you know, I, I don't think it's bad that if they're an attorney first, they really have that understanding that they wouldn't have if they were just a judge. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. And there's that. And I was thinking when you were talking about judges being afraid, I think our chief justice of the California Supreme Court is probably one of the bravest guys around when he, you know, just ruled in May on the on the uh, the marriage cases to, to say that it was unconstitutional to declare that a uh, that people of the same sex couldn't marry. And that took a lot of courage. And, and, you know, he's a conservative justice. So, you know, someone like him that would put his neck out there for what he believes is right was, was uh, I thought, pretty, 
pretty courageous. It's kind of reminiscent of uh, former uh, Justice Earl Warren, who came from California, who was a conservative appointee but made some very courageous decisions. Yeah, so we'll see what happens with that. How about the Sheriff's Department? Now we have um, a woman sheriff who... I happen to have had on my show, and I, I think she's trying to do the best she can. It's a tough place, tough place to be right now. I mean, nobody can be happy, you know? Uh, I, I haven't met her, but from everything I hear about her, she's bringing a lot to the table. She, she's opening up the all of the proceedings, the, uh, uh, the the major decisions that are being made by the sheriff's department. Uh, she's she's restoring morale to the to the department, so uh, I, I can't speak authoritative uh, about yeah. her. Yeah. Other than everything I hear is positive, and I think it's going to be a definite uh, plus for the county. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a rough place to 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 walk into a mess. You know, it's it's really rough. But what do you think? You know, you 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 talk in your book about all the things that are wrong, and you show all the things that are wrong with uh, what happens with Curtis and everything. What do you think should happen with the sheriff's department? Well, I, I think we're I think we're moving in the right direction by by this new appointee who who is making everything uh, uh, more open and more public. And and I think uh, I made reference in my earlier comments about a uh, public review committee uh, for judges. And I, I see no reason why we shouldn't have some sort of grievance committee that the uh, people can go through regarding the sheriff's department. To, right. To they look. did start one, actually. Did you know that? No, I didn't they, know. Yeah, they, they do have one, and it, it is an attorney, actually, who's kind of looking into uh, investigating it, and, and hopefully that'll go to a public review as well. That's my understanding, is it's going to be that report is going to go before the Board of Supervisors, and then there will be some other... Um, entity looking into this. So, you know, I think you're right. Well, that certainly sounds like a move in the right direction. Yep. So then you you referenced the Afghanistan conflict, and you had, when uh, Dennis Dennis McCauley's son went over to Afghanistan, and um, all that stuff was too close for comfort because my niece's cousin, um, 19 years old, was just killed in Afghanistan. Just, yes, very sad. And you know what's really even sadder? He and his whole a uh, troop that were killed, all of them were like 19, 20 years old. They all became victims of identity theft. You're kidding me. No, it's very common. You oh, know, the, it is horrible. The uh, The dog tag has the social security number on it. And also right now the military ID has the social security number on it, which is the key to the kingdom of identity theft. So this is, is really tragic. And I was I just sent over a bunch of stuff to help all these families deal with this afterwards. Um this happened for all these guys in Chicago. I, it was it was very tragic. But anyway, you brought up this conflict, which you know touched my heart, and um, it, it suggests that that you had some strong feelings about the war. Uh, uh, did you wanna, mean to? I don't, I don't want to give away all my political stripes, but I uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, pr- I probably have more issues with the war in Iraq than I do in, in Afghanistan. But uh, just just uh, uh, plug the uh, Mistral for a second, uh, which was a book set in France and had a political conspiracy involved in it. I've often wondered why we don't learn from our mistakes. And the French the French made terrible mistakes in Indochina and in Algeria. And in Algeria, they were fighting a Muslim insurgency armed with IEDs, kidnapping, terrorism, and the French had all of the major weapon power, and they lost. And, and, uh, very, and, and the, the way that the French were able to finally get out of uh, Algeria was by closing the borders. But then the French had another misadventure in Indochina. 
and then, then we went to then we went to Vietnam. And, and if, if we would, if if you don't, if you ignore history, if you ignore the past, then you're doomed to repeat it. And I think exactly. we've repeated uh, the French problems in uh, Algeria and Indochina. We've repeated those problems in Vietnam and Iraq. And I just hope that we begin to learn uh, not to do this. And your comments about these 19 and 20 year olds. It's uh, it's always the 19 and the 20 year olds and the 21 year olds that get killed. And, and now we're having 30 year olds and 40 year olds and 50 year olds killed in Iraq and Afghanistan. And uh, uh, I just have very, I, I guess I'm a very strong anti-war uh, yeah. And, you know, a lot of our, our attorneys who have been, you know, um, in the National Guard in their 30s and, and even into their 40s have been sent over there. So um, that that's even been happening here in our own county of, of older people who, you know, they're National Guard. And they need them over there. Thank, so, thank, thank God they're not sending 60-year-olds. <laughs> that's right. That's right. It's, it's, it's tough. It's tough. Well, you have to volunteer. We're still volunteers, you know, and... Even if you volunteer for the National Guard, you're a volunteer. So, anyway, you you, you talked about some other interesting things about uh, you had you made references to Richard Nixon and um, all things like that. So, did did President Nixon play a role in our Orange County politics? Uh, I remember, gosh, when he had the Western White House, San Clemente, right? And, well, before that, you know, when in the infamous. Uh, you won't have Dick Nixon to kick around anymore when he lost the gubernatorial election to Pat Brown. Uh, that, that was that was the uh, Nixon. Nixon was very heavily involved in Orange County politics, and we had a state senator named John Schmitz who was extreme oh. ultra conservative. Wasn't he something? Wasn't his daughter? Wait, wait. What happened? Something? Remember the scandal his, with his, his daughter? His, his, her daughter uh, had a uh, relationship with a uh, teenager when she was in a, when she was an adult. And right, then, she uh, was a teacher or something, yes, yes, yes. and so she had that relationship with a young kid, which was obviously a felony, and she went to jail for it and had a baby with him. Right. Oh gosh. So yeah, and he was for all for uh, family family values. He he, he, <laughs> he he actually was a teacher at uh, I think it was Santa Ana College at the time. It's You're right. Part of yeah. Coast College, but he and he had a reputation as a very fine teacher, but off outside of the classroom, he was a ultra right wing uh, politician who uh, was lobbying. Uh, Richard Nixon impeached because Nixon went to China, and and he thought that Nixon was a uh, communist. Right. And we also and he was affili- affiliated with the John Birch Society, who was a, 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 a relative who's still around. Uh, they're relatively conservative, not relatively conservative, very conservative, right wing philosophy. And they, they thought that Dwight Eisenhower should have been impeached because he was a communist, and they thought that Richard Nixon should be impeached because he was a communist. And today. Wow. The John Birch Society is lobbying to have, guess who, impeached for being a communist? George W. Bush. Interesting. So, so, so Orange County politics uh, have, a, have a, a very interesting history of ultra-conservatives. We're known all across the country as a, as a conservative county. And, uh, yes. Richard Nixon was heavily involved in, in the uh, uh, politics in Orange County. And so was, there's, a, there's another group, a, a more prestigious, less radical group, known as the Lincoln Club, uh, who's very involved in politics in Orange County, and they kind of arose out of, when when Nixon was defeated, and if I'm lecturing too much, stop me. No, 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 because I thought that was, in, I read that in the book, and I thought, you know, I had heard about the John Birch Society, and I know the Lincoln Club, I know they're very influential, a lot of wealth there, and, yeah. and they give a lot of money for politi- the, the political Lincoln, party. The, yeah. the Lincoln Club was, was relative, as I understand it, and I, I don't, I don't uh, profess to be an expert on it. They were instrumental in getting Ronald Reagan elected governor and, and help in his presidential campaigns. And they were helpful. They were 
instrumental in getting Rose Bird defeated. Yeah, in, uh, recall from the U- uh, California Supreme Court. So very influential. Lots of politics in Orange County. Most of it conservative, but the. Uh, uh, the tide is turning. We're uh, more Democrat. I think the Democratic registration is appointing, uh, is approaching the Republican one if it hasn't surpassed it. So it's, an, it's it's a hotbed of politics. And if you like politics and you like history, and you like uh, political history, Orange County is a place to uh, to study. Yeah. So is there still really a relationship between the John Birch Society and the Lincoln Club? I mean, do they still, in, are there people who are members of both? I, I don't know that to be the case. Uh, I, I think that there was a, there was a, I think the Lincoln Club kind of arose as an answer to the John Birch Society uh, to be less radical. And the, the Lincoln Club was the uh, inventor of the Republicans' Eleven Commandment. I, I don't know if you recall that, but the Eleven no. mm-hmm. Commandment was a Republicans shall not speak uh, badly about another Republican oh, that's right. in, in any election. <laughs> and the Lincoln Club was they they kind of were a moderate um, influence on the Republican Party in here in Orange County. Uh, uh, and I'm not. I'm not sure that there are joint membership between the two, but it would seem to me that that would uh, that would probably not be the case. Yeah, but I yeah. don't. I don't know that as a fact. Yeah, no. You had a lot of history in there that I really loved, because I thought that kind of pulled it all together, made it. You know, that was in the background, the history and how it affected. And I was also fascinated by the reference to Joaquin Murrieta. Was was he a real person? Jo- Joaquin Murrieta was a real person. Uh, and, and and if you go online and look him up, you'll find fascinating stories about him. Some people view him as an absolute Robin Hood type hero. Uh, I think his roots were in uh, uh, I'm not sure. I think it was Venezuela. He and, he and his brother came to uh, Southern California, uh, uh, built ranches, and tried to. Uh, and this was in uh, the earliest early part of the mid 19th century. And then Joaquin's wife was brutally raped and killed by some miners. According to according to the stories, and he set about tracking him down and uh, extracting his revenge. And, and when he did that, uh, he then uh, became a, uh, a bandit. And, and there was there's a gang called the Five Joaquins. Uh, mm. They were all named Joaquin, and they they traveled and, and robbed miners. And uh, uh, according to legend, they contrib- contributed to uh, Hispanics uh, with the uh, with the money that they had. Uh, yeah, but on the other side of it, uh, the, uh, they're, they're also castigated as being uh, robbers and murderers and, 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 th- and thieves. And the governor of California set out to uh, uh, establish a special commission, a vigilante commission to track, them, to track down Joaquin Marietta and bring him to justice. Uh, and they did catch somebody called Joaquin Marietta and decapitated him. Right. And put his head in a jar filled with formaldehyde and traveled from fear to fear. Oh, so that was true what you said in the book. Uh, absolutely. It's, it's, it, was, oh. it was a bizarre story. And he's either a hero or he's a villain, depending upon which uh, right. uh, history you believe. But he Kind of like a, Pancho Villa. Yes, exactly. Huh. And, and you'll find that there's all kinds of places in California named your Joaquin, after Joaquin Murrieta. Interesting. Yeah, and then you had then the rest of it was kind of all fantasy about, you know, how that came to be with the, the landowner and and I don't want to give too much away but Miguel Silvas who was the big landowner and he was uh, kind of got the fruits of that labor is that correct that's, uh, that uh, how do you know it's fantasy 
Oh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Marie, I'm, I'm only kidding. Okay, okay, okay. All right. Well, I don't <laughs> I, know. But I gotta have a, a little. I gotta have a little fun with you. Oh no, no. It was it was fascinating, and yeah. Well, we don't want to give too much away. That's the that's the problem. We're speaking with a friend of mine, Robert Desjardins, who is a fabulous family law lawyer, very well respected, and he is also, as of late, a a brilliant author, and writes some incredible novels. We've got two of them sitting here in front of me. One, The Mistral, and that one is got some, it's a mystery. And then we've got The Darkest Shade of Orange, which is a mystery and an adventure. And I couldn't put it down. I really couldn't. I had, a, and here I was trying to write expert witness testimony, right? So that, you know how hard that can be. 57 pages I had to write. So I'd have to get up at four in the morning so I could read some more. I had to finish your book because <laughs> I liked it so much. I could not put it down. Oh, well, bless you. Yeah. So let me ask you something here. Um, the depiction of, of Macaulay's law firm wasn't exactly flattering, okay? And it, the problem is, is we we as lawyers don't always have the best reputation, even though we, you and I, are, are honest people. What about the stereotypes of attorneys? Are you are you helping to promote that at all? Uh, I'm I'm not trying to help to promote uh, to promote the stereotypes, but I think uh, I'm not going to tell you uh, <laughs> who I base that uh, depiction of the law firm, which firm I uh, to, uh, use for that. But there's a, there's a more, far more truth than fantasy in, in that depiction. And uh, some that I may have lived. Uh, I, I recently I put together an argument recently uh, for on an issue of attorney's fees in a family law case, and, and I plagiarized Scott Turow for. for I, did, I did give him credit. I love him. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, no, I'm no Joe Biden. I gave him credit <laughs> in my uh, my argument, but I, I think some of the comments he made about billable hours shed a lot of light on law firms where where you're. You you have to bill so many hours a year. You have to bill so many hours a month. If you're uh, in a large law firm, yeah. If you're a large yeah. law firm, and, yeah. And, and the the best description I've heard about that was Scott Chereau, who who described. You know, we have to make disclosures to our clients when we when we hire when they hire us. Right. And he said uh, a truly honest disclosure would be, and I'll quote, a truly candid disclosure to a client might sound like, if you hire me, I promise that my billing system will reward me for solving your problems at the slowest possible pace <laughs> with as much duplication of effort as possible and where I will face economic penalties for exercising any judgment that limits or focuses our work. I will, under this system, have strong incentives to embrace any opportunity to engage in discovery wars where the work is the easiest and the financial rewards are the greatest. You can be assured that every member of my team will have a real financial inducement to exaggerate the amount of time that they devote to every task. <laughs> it sounds awful critical and cynical, but you know what? It's pretty doggone close to the truth. Do you remember that joke? You probably heard this. This this father had a law firm, and, and his sons came into the law firm. He had three sons that he hired into the law firm. And finally, after like 40 years, he took a vacation, and he left the boys in charge, and the oldest son... Uh, welcomed him back when he came back from vacation. He goes, Dad, Dad, I solved the Johnson case. And his dad looked at him and said, What the heck are you thinking? That that case put you and your two other brothers through high, you know, through college and law school and paid for this and that and this and that. What are you nuts? So I mean, that that's the yeah. <laughs> that's exactly it, right? It, it, I yep. didn't say it exactly how someone cute would say it, but it but that's really the joke of it is that hey, you know. 
That's that's the truth. The yeah. billable hour, but uh, yeah, I don't mean to demean law firms, no. but the billable hours I think is a, is, is a scourge, and that uh, we should go back to uh, flat fees, which we all which we used to uh, charge people back in the old days. They gave us a problem. We told but them, you know, you know, someone like you who's an honest attorney, now this is the truth. There are going to be attorneys who just um, are are contentious and make it difficult for you, so that you can't get it done. You can't get the case done in a reasonable time. And you've got large, large companies that will paper the other side to death. And so, unfortunately, if you did a flat fee, you could end up just really broke and not be able to go on if you, because they're just papering you to death. That, that, that's true. You, you, have to, you have to build into your flat fees uh, uh, certain contingencies and yeah. discovery and depositions. But it's... Uh, uh, well, the, the firm I depicted in, in Darker Shade uh, uh, had had many of the components that I've seen in, in real practice, and uh, hopefully uh, things will get better. Yeah, although you know Dennis McCauley did take a lot of pro bono cases too, so he was you know he was a good guy like that. Yes, he was. He really was. Lloyd says we don't have much time left. Are we going to see Dennis McCauley and his soulmate Claire, who was wonderful by the way? Where are we going to see them again? It kind of depends on uh, the public. If the public buy, <laughs> if, they, if they buy Shade, I would like to do it. I would like to do a, I have a sequel in mind to Shade. Oh, do you? And I, I've kind of, I kind of thought it out, and uh, would like to work on. I, I have several projects in mind, but the, the sequel is uh, number two in line. So if I, uh, if Shade is, is successful, and, and incidentally, it's, it's uh, the, the early, the early indications are that it will be. Uh, I will. I, I do plan to write a sequel, and I'm thinking. I'm, I'll, I'll tell you the title off the year. <laughs> okay. Okay. I could see. You know, I had in my own mind. I mean, the the way you depicted it was very colorful. So I could actually see it like a movie. And and I said to Lloyd afterwards, I said, you know, I could really see this as a movie. It really. I I I think I can see it in my own mind. Who that's, knows? That's great. Well, thank you for the encouragement. Yeah. So do you also plan to continue practice law with your new career as an author? Uh, I, I, I'm still working full-time, and I plan to continue to work full-time. I, uh, you mean I can still refer my clients a- to you? Absolutely. <laughs> uh, for, for, for years, I was heavily engaged, and in, in my hobby was horseback riding and horses, and uh, uh, I've given that up so I can spend my weekends riding, and I, I enjoy riding, and that's my hobby. Oh, so, so this writing instead of riding. You got it. So you sold your horses, or what? Sold, sold my horses and retired them, and they're they're still alive and doing well, but they're out on the farm. So, to speak. oh, so this is this is the the new thing. So, what are you working on right now? Uh, I'm I'm working on. Uh, I have a. I've kind of outlined it, but I haven't uh, started uh, uh, putting it down on paper just yet. Uh, but I'm 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 fascinated. By, I'm not Mormon, but I'm fascinated by Mormon history. Yes, and and there was a. Uh, uh, the only military unit that was ever a religious military unit that, that for the United States was was the Mormon Brigade back in the uh, Spanish-American War. Huh. And, and, I, and I also wanted to tie that into some experiences I had in the Mormon communities in Arizona and New Mexico and, and some horse roundups I did. Huh. So I'm putting together a, a story uh, about uh, the Mormon Brigade, the, the Mormon Plates, which you may or may not have heard of, mm-hmm. uh, a, a sort of a religious icon that was, forms one of the bases of their, of their religion. And uh, and some horse activity in, in New Mexico, and I've uh, developed a cast of characters that I'm going to have some fun with. So I'm working on that. And when I finish that, if I'm uh, if um, everything 
turns out, well, I'm going to turn to the sequel to uh, Darker Shade of Orange. All right. Terrific. Well, Lloyd says we don't have much time left. I want to thank you so much. I I am so thrilled to, to get to see this side of you. It's kind of a romantic side as well, using your right side of your brain instead of always your, your brilliant left side of your brain. So that's kind of fun. And uh, I wish you the very best. We'll have to have you back on for the next book. Oh. Marie, this has been this has been fun. You're 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 fabulous to work for, and thank you very much for having me. Okay, well, you have a great night, and thank you for joining us. Thank you. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Thank you for joining us. Please make sure that you go and visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. You will see our upcoming guests. You can listen to archived interviews. You can download podcasts. You can write us emails. And join us next Wednesday right here at 5 to 6 p.m. Thank you, Lloyd, and good night. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.